0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. With the high amount of rainfall and Mississippi River flooding, wild turkeys and other wildlife have been displaced and pressured. Our guest today is Adam Butler, Wildlife Turkey Program Coordinator and Wildlife Biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We'll talk about how the flooding has affected the wild turkey population and turkey hunting season, and Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. So join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show send it to animals at org. and always a reminder that if you miss creature comforts on thursday it repeats every saturday morning at six so good morning hope everyone is doing well this morning good morning Good morning uh libby you are working on some events there to tell us about jotting yeah, down some notes so just, what do you have for us um,
2: pulled up some things uh First off, the dinosaur exhibit is opening at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science this Saturday, June the 8th. And um, I went by the other day, and there are big life-size dinosaurs outside in the yard and growing inside. So uh, I think it's going to be really cool. Mm -hmm. Animated and sounds and the whole thing. And then uh, down in Pascagoula, the Pascagoula River Audubon Center, June the 27th, wants us to know that they've got a birds and brew event from 5 to 7 that evening. And then the other end of the spectrum, I guess, in Clinton Nature Nuts for age 2 to 5. And that's happening Friday, June the 21st, from 10 to 11. And I got notices from Strawberry Plains and... Between Strawberry Plains and the Pascagoula River Center and everything in between, there are all kinds of great nature-oriented camps for kids. Mm-hmm. Everybody's noticed said that very few spots left. But if you've got a young person that you would like to uh, put them in something fun to do for the summer where they would also learn a little bit about nature, if they're a nature nut, maybe you need to sign them up for one of these camps.
1: All right. Um, we've got a couple of emails here and a big shout out to folks who've begun to give us, uh, pictures along with when they're looking for identifications. Uh, that's always very helpful. And the other thing too, is uh, if we can't in here in the studio, figure out what it is, Libby's got. Her folks that she knows from the Museum of Natural Science that will get the the information. So if we don't cover it on the air, Libby does a good job of following up uh, with emails back to whoever is sent in uh, looking for identification. Before we get to that, though, uh, Dr. Major, last week we started talking about the heat and the summer heat and it comes to our pets. Uh, in, here in central Mississippi, got some rainfall, so it's cooled down just a bit, but we know it's going to heat back up again eventually. Uh, are there some signs that you can look for, especially maybe in your dog, uh, of possible uh, overheating?
3: Very good question. Uh, a lot of times you'll see that they will, when they're overheated, or it would be more aptly described as heat exhaustion. Uh, of course, dogs pant a lot, and that helps to dissipate the, the heat. Uh, they need plenty of water, and uh, usually, most dogs will want to relax, want to get out of the sun and would not be encouraged, not want to be encouraged to do anything. So, uh, But panning, uh, hot to the touch even, and if you have a thermometer handy, an elevated temperature, taking a rectal temperature on a dog, it's usually around 101.5, give or take, Uh, and anything much over 102 to 102.5, you would be concerned about. Okay. Uh, and we also have an email concerning keeping dogs
1: cool. This one comes from Bill in Biloxi, who says, We have a 25-pound short-haired black dog. He spends about half his days in our large fenced-in yard or large screened-in back patio.
3: The patio has two ceiling fans. Should we keep fans running when he's out there? Yes, I would. Just air circulation. The ceiling fans may not give as much uh, flow of air you know, down where the dog is, but at least it would keep it moving. The other thing that some people do, and it, it works pretty well, is uh, a child's wading pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I've had some dogs where they talk about the dogs will literally just go uh, lie in it uh, when they get hot. So that gives an adequate source of water. Of course, keep it clean. But uh, the small wading pool is an excellent source if you have several dogs. And some of them will probably just get in there and chill out. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today is Adam Butler,
1: uh, Wild Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And Adam, we actually have an email that talks about wild turkeys, and it says, When hunting turkeys, I go out at dusk and locate roosting turkeys by hooting like a barred owl. When the tom hears my call, he'll gobble back. Question, Why does the turkey gobble back revealing his location? Would would think that he would want to remain silent to not reveal his location.
4: <laughs> That's a, a very interesting question. Glad to be here today. To <laughs> um, Put you right on the the spot. Um, I don't think we really know the answer to that. It's kind of one of those um, idiosyncrasies about turkeys that make them so neat. If I had to give an answer, um, I'd say there's been some uh, research the last several years um, studying uh, why turkeys gobble when they gobble, that sort of thing. And some of that stuff has has had. autonomous acoustic recorders out in the woods so researchers will actually take recording devices put them out in the woods and they record sounds um for you know however long weeks or months at a time Mm. and some of those sounds will be turkey gobbles and they can then go back to um to their their laboratory and, and run those uh digital files through a computer and a computer can actually identify the gobble. So you're looking at kind of the spectrograph of sounds coming across there. And it's really interesting that that the hoot of a barred owl in that spectrogram, if you're looking at the, the, the graphic of that mm-hmm. hoot, very closely resembles uh, the spectrogram of a hen calling. Uh-huh. So it could be something that, that there's, they're somehow uh, sort of close, and, and, and the uh, gobbler hears that and is just trying to gobble when he hears that or responds that way, when he gets gets uh, elicited that way. I, but I, I don't know. I, I, that's one of those things I, don't, I don't, may not want to know the answer to because it's <laughs> kind of one of those mysteries that really makes the bird so cool. And kudos to the Bardell there for maybe figuring that
1: out, <laughs> that he's uh, trying to trick somebody. And also very fascinating that we're kind of uh, demystifying Turkey language there. Right, that that right. sounds like that's very
4: interesting. Yeah, they have a really complex uh, language, can be at times. Okay, and we did get
1: two emails uh, with pictures. One is from Memphis, if I remember correctly, Libby, and it's uh, some sort of spider. I think that the, they said they found in the backyard.
2: Yeah, it's a kind of jumping spider. They said they found it um, uh, right by their back door, and I can I'll I'll go find out what kind of jumping spider and get back with them on it. But yeah, that's a cool spider.
1: And then our other one is uh, a
2: hunter, a, very much a hunter, a jumping spider there.
1: Okay, uh, we've got a picture Tracking of a little things. green tree frog, and we mm-hmm. thought it looked like the what was the barking uh tree frog, but that is found only in florida and the the markings on this are a little mm-hmm. bit different,
2: yeah, I'll get in touch with uh these folks and find out where this frog was, okay, yeah, it looks like a Florida frog.
1: But again, if you ever see something when you're out and about that you want to help uh, get an identification for and you have a smartphone, just snap a picture of it, uh, send it to us. And as I mentioned earlier, if we can't figure it out here in the studio, uh, Libby has a bunch of folks that she knows at the museum, and we will track that down for you and figure out what it is that you have seen. Uh, We've got an early caller on the line. So before our first break, let's talk to Jimmy, who's called in from Greenville. Jimmy, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. What do you have for us?
5: Well, I've got a German shepherd that um yesterday I noticed been scratching a lot. Uh she doesn't have fleas. Um and I know should I just uh do shampoo or what what uh could be causing it. Okay.
3: Where where is she scratching the most? Around her head or uh all over? No.
5: No, just uh with the hind legs, maybe a little bit under her stomach chest
3: okay. area okay there you know and you know this already but there are a lot of things that can cause a dog to itch or scratch she may be coming in contact with something uh whether it's in the yard or in the house uh if it's all of a sudden type thing you would think of an allergy uh certainly benadryl and some of the dogs will help if it's truly an allergy and benadryl only lasts about six to eight hours so if you do that uh you would need to repeat it two to three times a day. Uh, the other thing would be some sort of infection. And if there are sores or any type of... And a lot of times a dog will make sores by scratching. Uh, you probably should get her in and see your vet uh, from the standpoint of something that can be done. So uh, look at it closely. A shampoo may help. Uh, something mild like uh, oatmeal and aloe one of those might help so good luck to you and uh, you got to identify the cause really what try to identify the cause of why she's doing this
1: right
5: right okay
1: all right
3: thank you thanks uh, jimmy for your call it's time for our
1: first break this hour uh we when we return we'll talk with our guest adam butler there are wild turkeys all over the state but the flooding in the delta has pressured them and other wildlife we'll talk about that talk about turkey hunting season and take your questions about turkeys you can join our conversation with a phone call the number is 1-877-MPB-RING it's 1-877-672-7464 or you can email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org back with more after this so stay tuned Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Adam Butler, Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. If you want to join our conversation this morning with a comment or a question, call us. The number is one MPB Ring. It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Adam, thanks uh, for joining us again on the show. If you would, remind us a little bit about your background.
4: Yeah, so I'm a wildlife biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fishers, and Parks. And my my specialty is, um, I guess, kind of game birds. And um, So I'm the the turkey program coordinator, which um, sort of allows me to oversee um, all aspects of what the agency does in terms of uh, conserving and managing wild turkey populations in the state. And so that can... Um, mean a, a variety of different things um, from day to day, um, but it, it's a really great job. I, I'm, I'm from Mississippi. I grew up um, around the Monticello area, and you know, as a kid, just probably like a lot of lot of rural Mississippians. You know, spent all all the time I could out in the woods um, all throughout the year, and and even when I was pretty young, you know, realized that it. it it was it was special to me. The outdoors were special to me. Nature was special to me. And it sort of felt a calling to, to try to give back and help conserve those uh, natural resources. And it, it sort of led me into this career. So,
1: And, you know, from you visited with the show before. And so it's always interesting to me that, you know, a lot of us, I think when we think of turkeys, think of turkeys and Thanksgiving and the ones we see kind of plodding around. But when we talk about wild turkeys, they're, they're quite a bit different. If you would maybe remind us of some of the Things that people might not think about when they would think about a wild turkey.
4: Right. Well, um... I think that the the difference is, you know, there's this um, conception that turkeys are a really, really dumb animal. And, I, you know, maybe they are, they don't, you know, obviously don't have really big brains, but they're in the wild, extremely wary. Um, you know, they're, they're very uh, paranoid about their surroundings because they're fairly low on the food chain. And uh, so that's, that's one sense. The behavior, uh, the behavioral differences between the, the wild specimen and the domestic specimen are, are, are very dramatic. And then um, they're built a little different. So, you know, several hundred uh, years of domestication uh, with turkeys has designed a bird that looks very much different than the wild bird. Um, they're the 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 wild bird's much sleeker and slimmer, and um, you know, than than their uh, domestic cousins. Um, so those are some some obvious differences: the behavior and, and a little bit with the structure and the build of the of the bird. Um, do we find wild turkeys all through Mississippi? Um, we do, uh, but there's certainly places that have more than than others. Um, so, um, the the you know the the areas uh, uh, in the delta, particularly the interior delta, um, where you're just looking at large agriculture and don't have a lot of, of forested cover in the landscape those are going to be where we have the fewest turkeys uh down right along the margins of the coast aren't necessarily great turkey habitat and we don't have many there but for the most part they're found throughout the state although you know populations um the, the population density will vary from place to place and from time to time you know that their populations are driven a lot by reproduction in a given year and that can vary and so sometimes you may have an area that. Has few turkeys that a few years later will have a lot of turkeys. It can it can change.
1: We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Adam Butler, Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Doctor Major is here, ready to take some pet questions. And we always like to hear you call in and and share your brushes with wildlife, what you've seen uh, when you've been out and about enjoying the great natural resources that Mississippi has to offer. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. Seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline dot org. So, Adam, are we currently in turkey hunting season?
4: We, we are not. We have um, we really have two turkey hunting seasons here in the state. One in the spring, one in the fall. The one in the fall is is very minimal. Uh, very few people participate. The spring season is really the one that that gets most of the attention and most of the uh, used by our sportsmen and women in the state and uh, we we just just ended it about a month ago um, that season usually runs from about mid-march through the first of may here so um, it coincides with kind of the breeding time period of the the bird where um, the males are as you as your caller in, insinuated or your uh, question earlier insinuated that the males are gobbling and so kind of the the uh, what the hunter tries to do in a lot of cases is call those birds up and uh, it can it can make for a really challenging hunt um, because oftentimes the male is expecting the the females to come to him, and what the hunter usually does is try to imitate that and sort of reverse nature so
1: um and the other thing that we wanted to talk about that we mentioned at the top of the show and again i think uh, most of mississippi has seen a lot of rain uh, throughout the spring and we're in for another dose i guess from uh, that tropical depression that's affecting uh, most parts of the state um how is this heavy rain and and flooding and that sort of thing affecting uh the turkey population uh in the delta and in other parts of mississippi
4: well that there's really sort of two parts to that question um rain uh in the in sort of the near term can affect um their reproduction in a given year so the 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 success or failure of a individual hen when she's incubating her nest um there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if she's constantly getting inundated with with rain um she has a much higher likelihood of predators finding her nest it sort of makes sense she's um, you know, you're getting probably a little bit more bacterial growth, uh, things like that. So you're, she's producing more odor. Uh, the humidity is more conducive for predators to, uh, you know, pick up those scent molecules, and so more likely to find a nest. You know, if we have a wet, rainy uh, period, uh, so that can affect kind of the, the success of the nest uh, in, in the in the the delta and along the Mississippi River. It's it's a, it's a very unique situation. Um, probably a few places across the range of the wild turkey in north america that sort of function like that system over there does Um, and when you have a a late spring flood you know obviously you know turkeys are ground nesting birds so if if the ground is 10 feet underwater they're they're not going to nest and and so in those cases or a case like this year you can essentially have an, an entire year where you you have no reproduction and and there's really no replenishment to the population. Um, So uh, that can cause those populations to decline, which is not necessarily uh, the end of the world. Turkeys have, um, adult turkeys have relatively high survival uh, compared to a lot of game birds. So, um, you know, as long as we don't have multiple floods year after year after year, a turkey population can, can generally weather one single year of, of heavy flooding.
2: How many years are they able to reproduce, like one, um, one female turkey? Continue? I
4: don't think that they, you know... The, the, or just an I, I, idea. I, right, right. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they ever get to a point in their lifespan in the wild where they're not going to be capable of reproducing. So generally, um, the first-year females, the ones that are a year old, produce at a lower rate uh, than the adults do uh, usually almost all the adults are going to attempt to nest uh the first year females maybe only half to, to three quarters will attempt so there's a little bit lower um but the the maximum lifespan of a turkey the, the, the i think the record is about 15 years we, there was a there was a, a turkey banded in um i think it was massachusetts that that was recovered 15 years later i don't think many of them live that long um but um
2: but what I do know years. is that yeah, yeah, they
4: can you know certainly yeah. a, a hen uh, could live three, four, five years possibly, and she's going to be able to nest all of those years. That's um, but back to the the, the delta flooding. So the, the the issue over there is that you're you're essentially going to lose an entire year of reproduction uh, because of the situation over there, um, which is that in and of itself it's not you know not the end of the world as long as you know next year we can hopefully have a non-flood year and they sort of recover luckily for a lot of the, lot of the Delta along the river, they had a really good, um, reproductive year last summer. So those populations sort of jumped up. So they've, they've got a little cushion. Um, but you know, at the same time, this flood event is very unique. Um, I don't know that we've ever seen, you know, the flooding be a, as extensive as it has been for this long of a period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you do wonder, is there going to actually be some, some direct mortality there um, mm-hmm. because they're so displaced? And a lot of those birds are essentially having to live in trees and live off of insects up in the canopy of the trees. And um, so that's that's a worry. And we, we really won't know the outcome of that, I think, until probably later in the year when the flood water recede and people can get kind of get back in those areas and see what observations we get from the field uh, but that's all part of really what you do with the the turkey program is, is
1: monitor populations and that sort of thing um, and that might affect maybe hunting season next year because if i remember correctly part of the reason we have hunting season is to help control populations of wild animals
4: right well with turkeys uh, the hunting season is regulated such that it 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 theoretically is not impacting the the population so with turkeys they're they're unique in that uh, we're only taking the males out of the population in the springtime and they're a polygynous species which means you know one one male typically mates with with many many females so um, in that sense there are more males in the population than than is needed to sort of complete the life cycle and all that so sort of a surplus there in that sense so um you know we're we're going to be monitoring that situation over there and and we'll make adjustments if we need to um but again you know uh that that system is unique uh, that's and when i say that system the, the the mississippi river corridor is is unique in that it, it's very boomer bust driven um in in the in years where the flood waters sort of stay at bay uh, typically they have a much higher reproductive output over there than they do in other parts of the state. And that sort of makes up for those years when they have flooding um, that's going to pretty much eliminate any reproduction in a given season. So you see you see very erratic swings with populations over there. They, they're either really, really good or not good at all.
1: So you mentioned that they're, they're kind of near the bottom of the food chain, but you also mentioned that they're
4: very wily. So give us an idea. How do they go about avoiding the other creatures that are trying to eat them? Right. Um, well, they do that in different ways, I guess, and it depends on uh, sort of the life stage that they're in. Um, most of the losses uh, that occur within a turkey population are going to occur uh sort of in conjunction um with the 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 breeding season and with um hens either nesting or uh raising young and and so the hens primary defense so again she's she's nesting on the ground she lays um usually somewhere between 8 and 12 eggs Um, lays those one a day, and then when the whole clutch is done, she starts incubating. And she has to sit there for about 28 days to incubate those nests. And uh, typically she's going to remain on the nest, um, sometimes for multiple days in a row, and then come off to sort of feed and uh, defecate and those sort of things. Um, But her primary defense during that period is camouflage. So she's seeking out um, specific habitat specific uh, vegetative communities where she can not only be uh, visually camouflaged where it's difficult to see her because of the brush, but there's also uh, some reason to think that those sorts of places where she picks a nest um, that, that that, uh, allow airflow to sort of be disrupted so that her scent is even being camouflaged a little bit because a lot of the, a lot of the predators that are going to key in on her are using their nose to find their prey. So that's, that's really uh, their main line of defense is in, in that situation is camouflage. And then likewise, when the nests hatch, um, predation can be really extreme on the, on the poults, the, 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 the young turkeys, for the first few weeks. And, and they sort of have the same tactic. They, they stay in very specific vegetative communities that offer camouflage. And when danger comes close, they all kind of duck and remain motionless and let it pass by before they go about their business
1: uh do the males stick around or do they do their business and then
4: no uh, male turkeys are not very good fathers they (laughs) they they, sort of uh they do their their business and then they leave the the mother hen to do all the nesting and and tending of the young and they kind of go back to uh just uh, trying to either attract other mates or or eventually when the uh breeding cycle kind of slows down they all gather back up in, in bachelor groups of males. So for most of the years, the sexes are, are sort of segregated. Um, females, especially in winter, a lot of times the females and the males will use um, very different areas, very different habitat types, which is kind of a great mystery about turkey biology. We don't fully understand why they do that.
1: Hmm. That's so, interesting. So they're, they're apparently there's a lot about their behavior that is, is mysterious. That's uh, very fascinating. I guess um, that's
2: another reason why it doesn't hurt to... To take the males out in the hunting season. Right. They're not, right. yeah, they've already done what they're right. going to do, right? Right, right,
1: yeah. uh, We need to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion. We're talking about wild turkeys this morning with our guest, Adam Butler. Are you hunting turkeys this season? What's been your experiences? Uh, give us a call to join our conversation if you have a question or a comment about turkeys, a pet question, or maybe a comment about what you've seen when you've been out in Mississippi enjoying nature. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show at animals at mpbonline.org. More creature comforts after this, so stay tuned. Back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Harfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest for today is Adam Butler, a wildlife biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And we are talking today about wild turkeys. Hey, we've got some open phone lines, so give us a call if you want to join that conversation. Uh, The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-MPB. 672-7464 six seven two seven four six four you can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So um Adam, how would you describe the health of the wild turkey population in Mississippi?
4: Well in 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 one sense, um, you know we're living in kind of the best of times when it comes to wild turkeys. Uh, th- this is a species that we really hold up as one of the greatest conservation success stories of the of the last century. So if we were to go back um, 100 years or so, uh, you know, the conservation movement in, in the United States and, and really North America as a whole had not taken hold, and, you know, a, a, we were kind of coming off the pioneer days, and, and, and a lot of the early settlers, uh, just as they expanded across our country, sort of saw a wealth of wildlife that they thought was just unlimited, and they acted accordingly they acted as if it was an unlimited resource and so for a lot of wildlife species that was that was uh, a a very bad thing um and you know in that era there there weren't laws there weren't laws governing hunting seasons there weren't laws governing the take of different wildlife species and turkeys were one of those that, that really took it hard uh so by the uh, by the time of World War II, um, what had been extremely vast turkey populations across Mississippi and, and really the whole of the eastern United States, and we know that from the accounts of the writings of early settlers. We know John James Audubon, for instance, you know traveled. He was kind of based out of Louisiana, but he traveled into Mississippi a lot and wrote a lot about the turkeys he would see when he came. So we know that they were really abundant. But but by Uh, the early days of the 20th century, that vast resource had been almost completely wiped out. And so around the time of World War II, um, just after uh, the agency I worked for had been formed, we did surveys that suggested there were only about 5,000 turkeys in the entire state of Mississippi. Um, So, you know, back then we didn't have an Endangered Species Act or anything like that, but if we would have, you know, this this is a species that would have been in, in, in danger of extinction. We came that close. And through um, a lot of dedicated work, um, really one of the reasons the the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks was originally formed was to restore things like wild turkeys. That was one of our first objectives the legislature gave us. And it took many, many decades to do that, but it was a very successful program. to now you know where we have turkeys in all 82 counties and um our our estimates are that we have a population somewhere around about a, a quarter million uh give or take uh, depending on the year mm. and you know that story is sort of uh played out not just here in mississippi but all throughout the united states and and canada um, so you know in that sense um you know we've across a lot of our country today we've got more turkeys than we've had in in decades and decades and decades uh but at the same time uh here locally you know we we are seeing some some trends with turkey populations some of the things that we keep up with at the department of wildlife like um the kind of assessing the reproduction every summer Uh, we're seeing some trends that uh do make us kind of raise an eyebrow and say "Eh, okay something's going on here we don't fully understand it uh but they're Parts of the state where clearly the populations have declined over about the last decade or a little more. And that's something that we uh, are really spending a lot of time thinking about and thinking about how to address. Um, But uh, on the whole, you know, turkeys populations are really good in Mississippi. And Mississippi is generally regarded as as sort of a um, a destination state, I guess, for for people who enjoy turkey hunting. A lot of people come here for that reason.
1: And I guess that each thing that you're trying to restore populations to are different but i guess lessons can be learned general and generally just how to go about re-establishing a population of a wild animal so that the success of the maybe the wild turkey early on was able to help out in, in in other ways as well
4: right so a lot of the issue if we were to go back 100 years uh, so not only were the the wildlife populations themselves being directly exploited um you know people you know uh, taking turkeys just to, to eat and to survive because that, you know, living off the land kind of thing. Um, there was also market hunting going on in that era where you had a lot of pro- professional people who were uh, taking as many wild animals as they can and shipping them by rail to large cities along the Atlantic seaboard um, to sell in markets. Uh, that was a practice that was outlawed, um, you know, decades and decades ago. Um, but also at that time, you know, forestry as a as sort of a, a science that we have today really didn't exist. And so the, the, the forestry of the era was sort of just just you know, cut and get out. And there was no thought to reestablish a new forest and that kind of thing. And uh, so the habitat of the wild turkey during that era really, really shrank dramatically at the same time while the individual birds were being exploited uh, without regulation. Um, so the restoration of the turkey really was about waiting till habitat condition got such so that populations could could be sustainable. And then we would go in and trap turkeys from areas uh, where they existed and then release them into places where the habitat had kind of came back online. And so today the, the situation is a little differently. You know, oftentimes we get calls at the department from landowners or, or people who are interested in turkeys or would like to have turkeys on their property but don't. Um, and you know they still want us to do that they want us to go trap some and bring them there but the reality is the limiting factor today has changed Uh, in general there is a population source nearby for most most everyone in mississippi so the limiting factor is is generally going to be habitat if they're not using your particular piece of ground it's probably because the habitat's not conducive for them so um, part of my job and part of what we do in the wildlife bureau at mdwfp we have a A a staff of of private lands uh, biologists that their whole job is to go out and meet with with landowners and and, and advise on how to manage habitat and how to make that better for whatever wildlife species uh, that you may be interested in but a lot of the Practices that get recommended are going to be beneficial to turkeys. And it seems
1: like that would be a better way of doing the sort of the, the turkeys naturally come on there as opposed to snatching one and trying to That's kind right. of force him on there. Right.
4: Well, you, you're not going to force them if you don't have that. If you don't have the habitat and you release gonna, them, they're
1: just going to go somewhere else. You know, they're going to leave. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, and it is Lee from Memphis. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Go ahead.
0: Yes, thank you. Uh, appreciate you taking the call and appreciate the good work you're doing with. Uh, uh, turkey uh wildlife habitat restoration and the population uh i got an urban turkey uh story in question for you all right so uh i live um very near overton park in the memphis area if you're familiar with that uh kind of right in the heart of midtown and about two months ago to my surprise around six or seven in the morning i see a hen turkey walking down the street Mm -hmm. uh you know, a half a block from my house, uh, followed the turkey, got several pictures, several videos, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking, am I really seeing this or do I just need another cup of coffee. Um, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, so my question is really, uh, not related to habitat so much, but, but how common is that? Uh, my first thought was to call the zoo and say, do you have an escaped Turkey? If you do, I can give you the general vicinity where it is because we, you know, five blocks from the zoo, uh, but I wondered if if these turkeys are actually foraging further and further into the cities, you know, maybe along the Wolf River, viaducts or or, or pathways, or you know, just just a curiosity question, really.
4: Sure. Um, so, you know, the, kind of the urban turkey thing is is not something we we see as much in the South for whatever reason, um, but you do hear a lot of that in in kind of. some other parts of the country that are more metropolitan Mm. up in the northeast and such Uh, wild turkeys are are extremely adaptable species and so you know what they they really need are um, forested areas uh, with scattered openings and that sort of thing and so there's a lot of suburbia that you know sort of superficially resembles that and once they kind of get over their fear of humans and houses they're able to live in those areas so i'm I'm going to guess that you know the area around your home there lee would would probably be that way have some scattered trees and um you know not not be overly developed but have have you know openings and yards and maybe a couple yeah. of wood lots and that sort of thing and and if they have that sort of environment they can adapt to it and and persist you know pretty close to to man so not I wouldn't say it's common but it's not uncommon.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well I wasn't sure if I should do anything with the photo, you know. <laughs> should I should I report it in one way or another, but it, it, we are, you know, very close to that old grove forest which is about 100 acres of, you know, kind of pristine forest right in the middle of the city, so um yeah. All right. That makes sense. All right. Hey, Lee, well, thanks I- for your call this morning.
1: Appreciate it. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Here's an email that we got. Uh, that says, my wife and I often walk a woods road for exercise. We were climbing a gentle rise and saw a turkey just beyond the summit. The turkey saw us and immediately started running toward us. It was quickly airborne, got about six feet off the ground, and started to glide. My wife stepped behind me, smart, yeah. and the turkey glided past us, its wing tipped just inches from my chin. Hmm. Once it passed us, it landed, uh, turned, and leisurely walked into the underbrush. We've seen other turkeys on our walk, but they always flew away from us. So... Man, that's that. Talk about a brush with wildlife. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's an exciting thing. Yeah, exciting. yeah, yeah. I,
4: I don't have an explanation for that. Maybe <laughs> maybe there was something the other way that he just, that Turkey didn't want to go towards. I don't know.
2: Yeah, but he also, must have had his mind set yeah, on going right, that right, way. Right, yeah. right, right.
4: <laughs> but
1: it does remind me, and I guess uh, of a certain generation. You know, WKRP in Cincinnati was a great yeah. sitcom, and there's that famous episode where. Uh, Les Nessman, I think, is throwing frozen turkeys out of the, the plane, and the the line is, <laughs> I thought that turkeys could fly, but it, wild turkeys actually can fly. Yeah,
4: right. Those yeah. turkeys <laughs> weren't frozen, remember <laughs> that? <right>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they they're 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 very capable flyers. They can fly up to about fifty five miles an hour. Uh, they just don't like to do it. It Burns a lot of energy. Um, you know the way they're the way they're built and the way they make their living, sort of foraging through the leaves. They generally are only going to fly if they absolutely have to. Uh, what's uh, the turkeys' diet? They they have a very broad diet. They're um, actually very much an omnivore. So their diet shifts with the seasons. Uh, this time of the year, they're probably spending a lot of time eating insects. So they're going to uh, fields and openings and pastures and that sort of thing and eating a lot of grasshoppers. Uh, as the season shifts and we get kind of later into the summer, you know, you start getting a lot more uh, fruits and things coming online. They'll, they'll certainly take those blackberries and um, all, all sorts of stuff like that and then of course over the fall and winter they they really concentrate very heavily on uh different hard mast species so all the oaks um beech um, d- d- all the different you know kind of hardwood masting species that you're going to have available during the winter time they're going to try to utilize and they also eat um just diff- just different stuff you wouldn't really think about um it's not uncommon sometimes during uh this time of the year uh, if you've got maybe a mud puddle or something in, a, in an old woods road that may have some tadpoles in it, they, they'll come along and peck those out. Uh, crayfish in the same sort of situation they'll get. Um, so all kind of different things can show up in the diet of the bird. And also
1: uh, we talked about uh, the, some of the predators that turkeys have to deal with. Uh, what are the more common ones that, that, that they encounter?
4: So they, um, again, they're, Overall, fairly low on the food chain, and the 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 suite of predators that are of concern sort of depends upon the life stage that they're at. If you want to talk about which predators are probably most influential to turkey populations, um, those are going to be the ones that affect the outcome of the nest. So they're generally not necessarily a threat to a grown turkey to taking down a grown turkey, but uh, they certainly can. interrupt a nest and eat the eggs and that you know ultimately has really big consequences to the population so those are going to mostly be sort of your mid-sized mammals so raccoons and possums and skunks um, those sort of things maybe to a lesser degree armadillos um, snakes can be a a, a big nest predator crows can be a really big nest predator Hmm. so if you want to talk about what's most influential to a turkey population uh, that's, that's probably it. Um, uh, interestingly, we, uh, last, uh, couple of years got a lot of calls, uh, at our office. Uh, Dr. Major may have had some of these as well. We got a lot of calls of, of raccoons exhibiting kind of the symptoms of canine distemper, which is a disease that they periodically get that, that sort of erupts within raccoon populations. And, um, uh, Not surprisingly, uh, last summer the turkeys had a really good reproductive season, so there could be uh, some coincidence there between those two things. But once they become adults, um, bobcats are a big predator. Great horned owls are also a a really big predator of adult turkeys that people don't probably think about all that much.
1: All right. Uh, time for our last break this hour. When we get back, we got a couple of calls on the line. And we'll continue our discussion with our guest today. It's Adam Butler, the wildlife biologist from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We've been talking about wild turkeys today, but Dr. Major's here ready to take a pet question as well. Still time to join the conversation with your phone call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Back to wrap up the show after this break. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today, Adam Butler from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're going to talk about wild turkeys throughout the hour. We've got some calls to get to. Let's start again in Memphis.
0: Joe's called in today.
1: Good morning, Joe. Go ahead, please. Good morning.
0: I live in the edge of Memphis, and I have lots of turkeys around my house. Uh, but I have also a lot of woods in my area. But I, I, I got a question. You said earlier in the show that... There was a population in Mississippi, Turkey was down to about five thousand several decades ago, now it's about a quarter of a million. How do you count those turkeys? How do you find out how much you got
4: well uh, that's a very good question um, and it, it's a question that you know the the profession of wildlife science has devoted a lot of energy to um, Studying populations and trying to come up with estimates um, the the five thousand estimate that I gave you that was uh i think done in nineteen forty seven so right around the right after World war two uh, and I think in that day the population the extent of the population was so few that they literally basically knew that hey there's a few turkeys down in Amitt County and there's a few turkeys over in Perry County, and uh, they were more or less able to sort of directly say. Uh, this is how many we think are in this flock and that flock. And there were so few flocks that they were literally able to almost come up with an exact uh, count. Uh, What we do today is more of of sort of a backdoor estimate. So we um, extrapolate out from our estimated harvest what we think that means in terms of the population. Uh, And so there's some science that that tells us a a number to, to sort of use as a corrective factor on if this many turkeys were harvested uh, during a hunting season, that probably means there were this many turkeys out on the landscape so it's it 's not at all an exact number uh, but it's it 's the best we can do. The only way to really get accurate uh statistically accurate uh counts of turkeys are uh catching them, putting bands on them, and then doing uh, what 's called mark recapture estimates. Uh, which is not something that you could do to scale. That's really how you estimate on a really relatively small area, not at a statewide scale. So our our quarter million estimate is is sort of a a backdoor extrapolation uh, based on harvest. Okay.
1: Hey, Joe, thanks for your call. Let's move on. Next, uh, our friend Lee in Woodville is on the line. Good morning, Lee. Go ahead. Good morning. This is
5: for Mr. Adam Butler. Um, First of all, I'd like to say that we're here in Woodville, Wilkinson County, God's country, (laughs) home of the white-tailed deer and the eastern turkey, wild turkey. Look, first of all, I want to know, since there's quite a number of wild turkey in Wilkinson County and there are turkey farmers and people that have the domesticated turkey at home, is there or have you heard of any of the inner reaction between interaction between the eastern wild turkey and the domesticated turkey and also can you let the people know what effect the crp or conservation reserve plan has had on the growth of the wild turkey in mississippi and i will hang up
4: all right lee thanks for the call always good to hear from you sure um, I, I, I think I understood the first part of that question as you know if someone has sort of a backyard flock of, of domestic turkeys, are they uh, is there possible interbreeding going on between them and the wild turkey? And I, I think that probably happens some. Um, there's you know, been some evidence in the literature of that happening, but I, I don't think it probably happens to a great extent. Um, and you know the, the inherent wildness of, of turkeys has been very much, uh turned down in, in the in domestic turkeys. So even if they were to interbreed and, and sort of have a clutch of eggs that's half domestic, half wild, probably those offspring are not going to have the, the wildness that they would have otherwise had and, and may not uh fare as well as their you know fully wild uh cousins. So that's not something that's probably going to perpetuate itself in the population over time. Uh, the second part of your question about CRP uh, is a little bit different, a uh, little bit more difficult to, to, to crack. So CRP is a program um, that uh, in, in sort of agricultural areas uh, where there was incentives to plant pine trees on what was former ag ground, and there was a lot of reasons for that, stabilized crop prices, uh, runoff water quality. And it's it's had a, a, a big impact on wildlife in a lot of ways. So in one sense, uh, CRP... Um, in, in places took out areas that would have maybe been good uh, brooding habitat for turkeys. So it's, you could argue that that was a negative effect of that program. At the same time, it, it more heavily forested places that would have otherwise been very open and agricultural. So that, that's actually a positive thing for turkeys. Um, the real issue, I think, it, it depends. It, it As a lot of things in, in the wildlife uh, biology profession uh, are, it, it really depends. If, if those pine trees that were planted are managed properly or I managed, pro- managed in a way that is conducive to turkeys if uh, certain practices are, are done to create um, sort of the forest understory conditions that turkeys like, those can be very positive for turkeys. If, if uh, they're not managed in that way, uh, they're not going to be as good for turkeys. So it really depends on how they're managed, whether that's a, a, a positive or a negative.
1: All right, uh, last call of the hour, our friends Sue and Beaumont. So a little bit pressed for time, So if you could be brief.
5: I just want to make a comment. I I think the wild would have made a wonderful national bird instead of the
2: eagle. I agree (laughs) with Benjamin Franklin on that. All right,
1: okay. Thanks for the call, Sue. Uh, so yeah, that's I mean I guess uh, some kind of uh, turkey trivia that uh, I guess some of us re- remember that Benjamin Franklin wanted the wild turkey uh, as the as the national bird there.
4: So well, there, there's some debate as to whether he was serious or not. Ah. A, some some people sort of say he said that kind of tongue in cheek, but who knows? <laughs> uh, anything that we've uh,
1: we haven't gotten to in the last couple seconds here, or maybe a reminder or, or something that you'd want to leave folks with.
4: Um, you know I I think if I could say anything it would be for folks that are interested in turkeys or any other wildlife to you know support conservation efforts whether that be you know uh, with the Department of Wildlife, who I work for, we're funded almost exclusively by hunting and fishing license. So if you're not necessarily a hunter, but interested in supporting conservation, buy a hunting license anyway, because it supports what we do. Um, again, there's also turkey-specific conservation organizations out there, like the National Wild Turkey Federation, that raise funds uh, that go back into habitat management and projects that benefit turkeys and a whole host of other wildlife. So. If you're interested in this uh, majestic bird, uh, seek out some of those ways to get plugged in. All
1: right. Uh, That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by generous listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Adam Butler, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.